Now, as we read this section of Revelation, Revelation 4 and 5 form a unit. And as the writer John describes what he is doing and what he is seeing, he's engaging in this kind of hybrid of two old television shows. Um, It's a hybrid of through the keyhole and catchphrase. Do you remember those shows? So through the keyhole was this show where you went through the keyhole of someone's house and you went through all the rooms to guess which celebrity owned the house. And someone went through and described everything that they saw. And John, the writer of the Gospels, kind of, he's gone through the keyhole of heaven. And as he's gone through, he is being shown God's house, where God dwells. And as he enters through the keyhole, he engages in this catchphrase type thing. Do you remember one of, or the catchphrase of catchphrase? Say what you see. Do you remember that? If you see it, say it. Um, and John just describes everything that he sees as he goes through the keyhole into the throne room of heaven. Now, why does he do this? For what purpose is John shown this vision of God's dwelling place? Uh, well, let's do a little bit of rooting around to see the circumstances of who John is writing to. If you've got your Bible, uh, turn back to Revelation chapter 2. What is the situation of those that John is writing to? Well, Revelation 2, that's the big numbers in your page. And verse 3, that's the little numbers. Here's Jesus speaking to his church and he says of them, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. Do you see the situation of his readers? They are enduring hardship for following Jesus. Now look at, uh, down to verse 10, and we see some more of their circumstances. Again, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. You see, not only hardship, some of them will come to death. Is that someone's phone behind us? Might be worth getting that. I don't think that's the music that was happening in heaven. I think that's just, it's just someone's mobile phone. Thanks, Dave. So Revelation 2 verse 3, they're suffering. Revelation 2 verse 10, we're told, they are suffering even unto the point of death. Now flick down to Revelation 2 verse 13. We read, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. So not only suffering, not only hardships, not only persecution, these Christians have seen one of their own number be killed for the sake of Jesus. See that? Now if you look forward, we're told that this is not only events of the past, Go forward to Revelation 6. Revelation 6, verse 9. Here we read, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our bloods? Then each of them was given a white robe. They were told to wait a little longer 
until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, as they had been, was completed. You see, it's not only just this one guy, Antipas, in the past who will be killed. John says, hang on, you've got to wait because even more of you will be killed for following Jesus. Now, that is not a great marketing campaign for Christianity, is it, in the early church? Some of you have died and actually more of you are going to die. The advertising that says, come and die, is not going to get many people buying it. I don't know if you've seen the New Links advert. Tagline at the end of the New Links advert Get the look that gets the girl. That's how advertising works. Not come and die. And yet, these Christians in Revelation were told later on, in Revelation chapter 12, we are told that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Do you hear that? They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Why on earth would you love life or love Jesus more than you love your life? Why? Why would you follow Jesus even if it meant it was going to get you killed? Well, what these Christians are shown in Revelation chapter 5 holds the answer. What is so precious? What is so stunning? What is so amazing about Jesus that makes him worth dying for? That's what I want to show you tonight. Why would someone die for the sake of Jesus? Love him more than life. Well, I want to explain Jesus. I want to explain Easter in these two words. Slain. Standing. That the picture we get in Revelation 5, the reason these Christians were willing to go even to the point of death was because they saw Jesus as slain. Yet standing. Do you see that in chapter 5, verse 6? What does John see? At the center of heaven, enthroned in heaven. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. What's central in heaven? What is enthroned in heaven? One like a slaughtered lamb. Now for us city dwellers, that's just quite black and white on a page, isn't it? It's quite an empty thing. If you were a farmer, that would be far more vivid. I did, I did think earlier in the week, could I phone a farmer and say, Hello, Mr. Farmer. We're looking at this verse in the Bible on Sunday night that says, describes Jesus as a slaughtered lamb. Could you bring a lamb with you to church? And, and would you slaughter it in front of us? Now, could you imagine that? Could you watch that? Could you imagine the struggle? Could you look at the blood? Would you cover your kid's eyes? Would you phone the RSPCA? That would be graphic, wouldn't it? The lamb walks in and you go, Ah, what do you say when it was slain, when its throat was cut? Do you you see this, this surprise in this? What do you think is central in heaven? If you think of heaven, we think golden streets and massive mansions and a glorious throne room. John says, what's central in heaven? A slaughter. The golden streets are covered in blood. The throne is decked in the blood of a slain sheep. What is that? 
Why does John want to say what is central in heaven is this eternal memorial of a death, of a slain lamb? Well, he wants us to know that at the center of Christianity, at the very heart of Easter, enthroned in heaven is this slain lamb. Jesus in the Bible is described often as a lamb. Hundreds of years before he was born on earth, uh, it was promised of him in a book called Isaiah that he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He is the lamb that was slain, but he's not just another martyr, but he dies as a savior. Easter Friday, the cross of Jesus is the lamb slaughtered. Why? He is slaughtered to save. He is slain that he might be a savior. I don't know if you saw this week, there was an item in the news uh, about a man called Hafiz Saeed. He's been responsible, it's thought, for the attacks in Mumbai those years ago. And the American government this week put a price on Saeed's head of 10 million US dollars. The wrongdoing that he has been guilty of before the US government is worth a 10 million price tag on his head. The Bible uses similar language to describe us. That although we may not have wronged the American government, we have wronged the eternal God, and therefore there is a price on our heads. And the seriousness of it being before the eternal God is not a a million dollar figure. It is the price of our blood. It is the eye of a price on my head which demands my death, my blood, my life, my slaughter. It's the price on my head for my rebellion against God. And the Bible says that's true of all of us. And to describe this salvation, Savior through slaughter, have a look at the song that's sung in heaven in verse 9 of Revelation 5. It explains this because it says, You were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God. What is happening when Jesus is slain, slaughtered on the cross on Good Friday? He is purchasing men and women for God. He is paying the price on their head. It is his blood, every last drop that pays every last penny of the price on my head. He is purchasing by his blood men and women for himself. The wage for sin is death. And on the cross as he is killed, Jesus is paying every last penny so that the punishment might be taken by him instead of them. He is slaughtered that he might be their savior. Do you know what that means for the Christian? There is no fear of death. Death is no longer the entry into hell, but it is to go to be with Jesus in his heavenly throne room. Let me tell you a story from a book of the Bible called Acts. There's a man called Stephen. And Stephen was actually 
martyred for being a Christian, killed. And we read this of Stephen. It's quite remarkable. Acts chapter 7, we read, while they were stoning him, and I get that, whilst the rocks were pummeling against his head as they were crushing his skull, as they were taking from him his life, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now Stephen was a sinner. But he knew that because Jesus had been slaughtered to save, that death for Stephen was no longer to be feared. Even the stones of his killers were not to be feared. Why? Because death was nothing more than Jesus receiving him into heaven. Do you see one of these things that is central to Christianity? Why would someone like Stephen love Jesus more than his life? Because he saw this vision of Jesus as the slaughtered, slain lamb. Slain to remove the reason for death, the punishment of hell. Why would you love Jesus more than life? Because he is a lamb that was slain. Now, there is something interesting about this lamb. What is the very next word in Revelation chapter 5? Do you see this? Then I saw a lamb looking as, it had, looking as if it had been slain. What's the next word? Standing. Now, I'm not a farmer. I have never seen a sheep slaughtered. But my guess is that when a lamb is slain, it ceases to stand. Uh, it would collapse. It would fall. Uh, little boys know this. You know, what, you know when little boys are playing with toy soldiers or action men or something and they're fighting each other in their imaginary world? What happens when one of them kills the other? They die spectacularly, even fly across the room and land flat on their back. You've seen that, right? You've seen little boys playing with soldiers like that. Even a little boy knows that when something dies, it does what? It falls. There's something surprising, strange about this lamb uh, slaughtered in heaven. It stands. It is slain, though it stands. It has been killed, yet it lives. It has been defeated, yet it triumphs. What is that? Well, central to Christianity, at the heart of Easter, enthroned in heaven, is the lamb that was slain, yet stands. Is Jesus who was crucified, yet on Easter Sunday, he rose again. Central in heaven is this eternal reminder that though Jesus entered the grave, he rose. That's why Revelation talks about him, not as this vulnerable little uh, petty lamb. He is a lion lamb, and he stands in victory. He's described, do you see that in the second half of verse 6, he has seven horns and seven eyes. Now that's not genetic modification gone wrong. That is a biblical imagery of horns are power, eyes are wisdom, and seven is the number of completeness. Here is a lamb that is completely powerful, completely wise. He stands. That though he died, he has risen again. I don't know if you watch The Apprentice. What is the whole premise and point of The Apprentice? 
Who's going to be the last one standing? Every week we want to know who's going to fall, who's going to be fired. We know this picture of standing is one of victory. I used to watch wrestling when I was younger a little bit. And there's a wrestling event every year called the Royal Rumble. And it's basically 30 guys in a ring. And what's the point? Who will be the last man standing? Easter Friday, Jesus gets into the ring with sin and he wins. He gets into the ring with death and he destroys death. He gets into the ring with the devil and he defeats him. That although he is the slain lamb, he is the standing lamb. Now this is... This is intriguing to me. One of the main pictures the Bible gives us of the resurrected Jesus is that he sits. You seen that? Especially the book of Hebrews. Jesus sits. And that's important because it means salvation is finished. His work is accomplished. It's done. Why does Jesus tell us that? Why does John tell us that Jesus stands? Why is he standing? Well, it's really significant for Christians who are being persecuted, Christians who are suffering, to know that Jesus not only died as the lamb in their place, but he also stands. He has overcome everything that would threaten them. John Bunyan says it really nicely. He says, although Jesus sits having finished salvation, He cannot help but stand when he sees his people suffer. He stands to show that he has overcome. That's important for a Christian who is suffering. To know that though the world may stand against them, there is one who stands for them. That although the world can take their life from them, there is one who has taken death for them. So that a Christian can stand up to death because they know Jesus stands beyond death. Remember that guy Stephen in Acts 7? I don't think it's insignificant that when he is being killed by his persecutors, we're told this. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus Standing at the right hands of God. He stands. He's overcome. He's triumphed. He's won. my, My mind goes to John 16, where Jesus says to his disciples shortly before he leaves, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome. He stands. Do you know what? Luke Wilson, who's sitting in the back. When my auntie died of cancer, Luke sent me a card. And in it, he wrote John 16, verse 33. That though my auntie died, what is the truth? Jesus says, in this world, you'll have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. When suffering comes... For his people. What is the glorious truth of the risen Lord Jesus Christ? He stands over sin, over death, over suffering, over the devil. He's overcome.
that is glorious. You want to see this pictured. Uh, Come with me to Revelation again. Revelation chapter 7. What is the significance of a Jesus who stands? Revelation 7 verse 15. Because he's overcome sin and death and all the things that would press hard upon us. Here is the saints in heaven. It says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why would you love Jesus more than life? How could you not shrink from death? He stands. He has triumphed. He has overcome. That's why John shows these persecuted Christians this vision of heaven with the lamb slain yet standing. Because the lamb was slain, what do they cry in heaven? Worthy is the lamb. Do you see them singing that in Revelation chapter 5? Twice. Verse 12, worthy is the lamb. Then verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. What are they singing in heaven? Worthy is the Lamb because he was slaughtered that they might be saved. What else? Because the Lamb stands in triumph over death, everyone in heaven falls down in worship. Do you see that in verse 8? The elders fall down. Verse 14, the elders fell down and they worshiped. Jesus is enthroned, central in heaven. We get this picture of he's enthroned by everyone, the 24 elders, the thousands of thousands upon angels, then the whole of creation singing, worthy is the lamb. Revelation 5 is big and loud because he's the lamb who's slain yet standing. He has triumphed over everything. Why follow Jesus? Because he is the one who has been slain by everything that ought to slay me. And yet he stands in triumph over everything that ought to destroy me. Now, let me speak to you if you're a Christian. How does this apply? I've got four things for the Christians, all of them kind of beginning with S. First one, sing. Now, we're going to do that in a while. We want to sing, don't we? The slain yet slaughtered, the slaughtered yet standing lamb is the one who fills our hearts with joy to sing worthy. We're going to sing. Secondly, though, I want to say, I stand, don't shrink. Uh, the reason the Christians in Revelation were given this vision was so that they would stand, endure in suffering. And having seen this vision, we know that some of them did not love their lives even to shrink from death. This picture of a Jesus who stands is enough, strong enough to equip 
a Christian to stand for him. Um, We're not likely to be stoned to death in Edinburgh for living as a Christian. It might mean that living in your family will be really hard. It may mean that your family ridicule and laugh. It may mean work is a tough environment to be a Christian. What does this chapter say to us? Jesus stands. And in his resurrection strength, he has sufficient power to enable you to stand for him no matter what comes against you. So can I encourage you? Don't shrink. Stand for him. Do the people in your workplace, do the people that you live with know that you love Jesus more than your life? That you would not shrink from a slagging or humiliation because you want to say with everything that is within you, worthy is the Lamb, who was slaughtered for everything that ought to slaughter me and yet stands over everything that ought to defeat me. Stand, don't shrink. Uh, Thirdly, uh, can I encourage you to resist sin? Uh, It wasn't only persecution that was coming against these Christians in Revelation. It was also the allurement of the things of the world and the approval of the world. Let me show you this. Come back to Revelation 2. There are two specific things that John says the Christians are struggling with. Chapter 2, verse 14. And nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Then come down to verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Do you see the two things that are coming against them? To worship the idols of the world and to indulge in sexual immorality. And so John's reason for giving us this vision of Jesus is to say, listen, worship the Lamb. He is worthy of your everything, not the false gods, not the sexual immorality of the world. John's message is, do not worship the very thing for which Jesus was slaughtered. Don't worship the sin for which the Lamb was slain. Um, John Flavel, one of my favorite writers, has an interesting uh, image of this. He says, if there was a knife in your house that had been thrust into the heart of your father, you would not take pleasure to see that knife, let alone use it. See what he's saying? If our sins are the very knife that were used to slit the throat of Jesus... How dare we take up that knife and use it again? Uh, Christians, please be those who resist sin, the very thing that slaughtered our Lord Jesus Christ. So, sing, stand, don't shrink, resist sin, and then finally, serve. See verse 10? Why have you been saved? Why was he slaughtered in your place? Well, you've, been, you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. 
Everything that God's given us has been given that we might serve him. So, he gives us food that we might use food in a way that shows the world Jesus is more worthy of our everything than food. He gives us a house so that we might use our house in a way that shows the world that Jesus is more worthy of our everything than our houses. He gives us friends and family to show the world that Jesus means more to us than even our closest relatives and friends. He gives us sex to use sex in a way that shows the world Jesus is more wonderful to us than sex. He gives us everything we have to serve him in a way that shows this world that Jesus is the only one who is worthy of praise and honor and glory and power. And we're to be those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ as the lamb slain yet standing. Our prayer is that he would make us a singing, standing, sin-resisting group of servants. Saying, worthy is the Lamb, not only in the songs we sing, but with everything in our lives. Uh, We're going to sing shortly. We're going to get there. Um, What about if you're not a Christian? Uh, Maybe you're here tonight and church is a rare thing. You're here because it's Easter Sunday. Maybe you're intrigued about Christianity. I hope in some ways you can just see the simplicity of the Easter story. Good Friday. He is the lamb who is slaughtered to be savior from sin. Easter Sunday, he is the lamb who stands in triumph over sin and death. Maybe I can ask you some questions by using the language of Revelation. What is central in your life? Uh, What is enthroned in your life? What do you sing about? What are the loud voices in your life? What do you serve? And do these things serve you or do you find yourself enslaved to them? And how do they answer your fears of death? Compare them, the things that you are living for, the things that are central, the things that you are worshipping to this lamb. Can they remove the fear of death? Can they overcome every anxiety that rails against you? Will they stand even beyond death? Christians sing, worthy is the lamb because... We have found nothing else that is worthy of our everything. Nothing else that was slain for us and stands for us. And I just hope that tonight you see this slain yet standing lamb and say, I want him to be the one who has died the death I should die and yet lives to give me hope beyond the grave. Hopefully the songs that we sing now will explain some more of what it means to be a Christian. If you've still got questions, we've got a Christianity Explored course starting. Why not come along to that? Ask your questions. Find out more about why Jesus is uh, worth more than even your life. Or come and find me uh, afterwards. I'd love to chat to you. Because Christians say what? He is worthy to receive honor and praise 
and glory and power forever and ever and for the rest of forever. Let me pray.